This is KCBX Central Coast Public Radio. I'm Father Ian Dellinger, and I'm playing with food. Morro Bay has lots of things to offer. Stunning views of the ocean, kayaking and paddleboarding, walks along the Embarcadero, and of course, the iconic volcanic plug rising from the middle of the bay, Lasamu, or Morro Rock. But Morro Bay is also home to some farms, and I visited one of these farms, an oyster farm, hidden in plain sight. And in order to visit an oyster farm, one starts by getting into a boat. I'm George Trevelyan and owner of Grassy Bar Oyster Company. We're going to get on the boat, the Jenny, and head out to get my crew that's out working on the oyster farm. We have about 10 employees, but right now I think there's four of them out there. They're sorting oysters and grading them and also planting baby oysters. good time of year for oysters that's starting to cool off and their spawning season is coming to an end so their condition gets really good in the fall. Is there an oyster season? We eat them year-round but you'll notice they vary. They have a reproductive cycle and since about half of their body mass can be their gonad you can tell when they're spawning. And so in the summertime, they can be a little softer texture, and then in the fall and winter, they'll be more firm. That's the old oyster cannery built in the 1950s, staffed by a bunch of women that shucked oysters all day long. And nowadays, we sell our oysters in the shell, and we don't have a big shucking plant like that, but we do have a little shucking kitchen where we serve oysters on half shelf. When you say cannery, that brings up canned oysters. Do you think that might be why some people don't like oysters? Maybe the old style of doing oysters was to shuck them and collect the meats and put them in a jar and they were fresh, not really preserved, but then you would ship those as fast as you could, refrigerated, and they're great for making fried oysters. That's the old style. So back in World War II days, that cannery there produced a lot of oysters for frying for our troops that were stationed at Camp San Luis and places like that. It's ironic since they're Japanese oysters. During World War II, they couldn't get more baby oysters because in those days, the baby oysters came from Japan because we are raising a Japanese oyster here. That's the species of oysters that we're still raising. So we're going all the way to the back bay, kind of off of Baywood, to a shallow area where there are mudflats and parcels of what are called state water bottoms that Fish and Wildlife Department leases out for growing oysters on. We've had a really strong red tide. People who have been down by the ocean probably know that. It's gone now, but whenever there's a big red tide, We worry about, oh, it possibly could be a harmful algal bloom that could have toxins in it that could make the oysters not safe to eat. And so we constantly are testing the oysters every week year round for those potential toxins that come from certain species of algae. But this last red tide did not have that. They were good, good dinoflagellate species. The oysters seem to have loved it because they were growing extremely fast and the water has been pretty warm as anybody who's been swimming last week and uh, during that heat wave 
the water's been pretty warm, so the oysters have been growing really fast and having huge amounts of phytoplankton to eat. So they've been <laughs> very happy, I think. <laughs> we arrived at a floating platform surrounded by blue and yellow buoys. All the equipment George and his crew needed to do their work was on this platform, and here's what they do. It's really shallow here. Most of Morro Bay is intertidal mudflats. Now much of it covered with eelgrass, and this is where we grow the oysters. So we've got these blue and yellow buoys. The buoys hold up the bags of oysters, so the oysters get tumbled and bounced around by the wind and waves and tides, kind of like a stone tumbler, rock tumbler. It makes the oysters turn out really round and really fat inside. Where would a natural oyster live? They like to live attached to things like shells and rocks and pilings. There are also a few native oysters that grow on the rocks and the seawalls and things in Morro Bay too. So this is your platform. What does your crew do out here? This is where we take care of all the oysters. We plant baby oysters and tend them and thin them and spread them out. When they get big enough, we pull them up on the dock and grade them and sort them and bag them up and tag them and so that they're ready for market. Do they dive to do this? No, not much because this is a shallow water intertidal place and at low tide, the oysters are actually out of the water. Right now it's high tide, but you can walk around. Even at higher tides, you can wade around and grab the oysters. Sometimes you have to use your toes, but we try not to stick our heads underwater. What are the natural predators for oysters? Oh, lots and lots of critters love to eat oysters. Bat rays and other skates and rays are one of the biggest predators. They're very abundant in Morro Bay. And then red rock crabs and other crabs. And now we have sea otters back here too, and they love oysters if they can get them, but they cannot get through our mesh pouches, so they don't bother us. And those are the baby oysters there. We put about 100 little one-inch oysters into each pouch and weight them down with weight so that they'll stay on the seabed and then lay them on the seabed and that's where they're going to grow for the next about eight months until we come and thin them out. Right now we're taking them by boat over to the oyster bed where they're going to live. So where do you source your baby oysters? We have a nursery at Tidelands Park where we got on the boat and that's where we raise them up to one inch of size. But we have to buy the very, very, very small babies from a hatchery. And those come from a number of different hatcheries, but we have recently been buying them from Hawaiian shellfish on the big island of Hawaii. We can buy a quarter million little baby oysters that come in one styrofoam box, FedExed overnight, and that's how we start our crop. We buy about a million baby oysters a year from them. How do oysters reproduce? They start out generally male, and then after a few years, they often will switch to being a female. The males produce sperm, and the females produce eggs. Otherwise, the oysters look the same. You can't tell them apart. <laughs> when they're spawning, they release their eggs and sperm into the water at the same time, and they mix in the water column. The microscopic eggs that are about 80 microns or 70 micron micrometers in diameter, so they're microscopic eggs 
One female oyster will produce several million eggs at a time. They get fertilized and then the little embryos drift with the currents, millions of them. They spread out throughout the bay. And if conditions are right, they'll grow into a mature larva that then goes through a metamorphosis and turns into a little juvenile oyster that lives on the bottom and no longer swims. In our bay, though, they don't reproduce generally because the water's too cold. And so we have to buy our baby oysters from a hatchery. So if you get your baby oysters from Hawaii, where the water is enormously warmer, how does this species then do in this water? They actually do really, really well here. You know, they're uh, originally from Japan, which is also a temperate climate with warm and cold seasons. So they grow really well here. But like I said, they don't generally reproduce here. You're listening to KCBX Public Radio for the Central Coast. I'm Father Ian on a platform in the middle of Morro Bay, surrounded by an oyster farm. One of George's crew took the boat and some baby oysters to position them in the underwater farm. Look, he's just yeah. throwing them off. He's just throwing them off for now. At low tide, they'll arrange them into neat rows, hopefully. <laughs> okay, so but he's not anywhere near the buoys. No, because that is a bottom culture method, different from the buoy method. So we raise oysters in several different methods here. Today we're planting oysters on the bottom, not in the buoys. What's preventing the ones on the bottom from drifting or shifting away? It's the weight they're anchored down. Hey, Nat. Hello. <laughs> it's fun out there. Nice and windy. Some little white caps. Pretty fast going downwind, but not so fast not going up. Yeah, not too bad coming back. <laughs> <laughs> this is Father Ian, this is Nat and Emma. Nice Hi, so what did you just do? We were just planting some of the seed that we put in new bags today. He took care of it back on uh, the little floating dock closer to shore. And then we bag it up into set um, mounts just so that the oysters have enough space while they grow. And then these ones got planted right back there near the rock, um, just on the bottom. So you paddleboarded them out there? Yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just the easiest way to get them there, honestly. Kind of keeps you up above water and everything. So what's this thing over here? That is our oyster sorter, and that's for grading oysters into different sizes. And also we use it for separating the oysters from the green seaweed that grows all inside the oyster bag sometimes. Is there a particular size, regulation size, that can be sold? No, since we're farmers, we can sell our crop at any size we want. And everybody likes a different size of oyster. So some people like really big, huge barbecue oyster. At Tognazzini's Dockside, he says, give me the biggest oyster you can grow. And then other markets, such as the fancy oyster bars in San Francisco and elsewhere, they want the tiniest little oyster that has a really nice shape, but it has a nice meat inside. And they want a very petite, tiny oyster. And they'll pay more for that little petite oyster than I get for the big barbecue oyster. We keep track of when and where we planted a certain bed, and then we know, oh, it's been eight months, so we should go check that bed. And when we go check them, usually there are some that are ready for a market at that time. But they'll be pretty small still, and then we'll put those, a lot of those back out for another eight months or so to grow a bigger oyster, a nice barbecue oyster. We try to sell everything within a couple years because it would get too expensive to hold them that long, and we need to get some money to pay our crew. What's the biggest expense in growing oysters other than buying the oysters and paying your crew? I mean, you don't have to feed them. 
That's right. We're just protecting them and they're eating the natural plankton in the water. So we have other expenses like maintaining our boats. We buy workers' comp insurance and things like that. Fuel is getting to be a bigger expense now with the higher prices. And then there are quite a few rents that we have to pay. We rent this oyster lease from the Fish and Game. We have an oyster facility, a plant on the Embarcadero, and we have to maintain that so that we can hold oysters during the wintertime because there are special rules where we have to hold the oysters on land in special tanks of water. So your expenses are mostly overhead, not the actual oysters themselves. Right. Well, the baby oysters cost a penny a piece when we buy them, and we can sell them for around a dollar. That sounds good, but then there are lots of other expenses along the way. And sometimes they don't all make it. These are dead oysters that died. So not all the oysters make it. Lots of them actually die for unknown reasons. Maybe they had bad conditions or a disease or something happened. And so we do lose a significant number of oysters. That's typical for oyster farming. And it's kind of out of our control. They're out here and then you'll, some years will come back, oh no, half of them have died and nobody knows why. When we got back to the mainland, George showed me his oyster nursery. The oysters we got in the end of August. Oh, wow. They're teeny tiny. Yeah. There's about 150,000 in, no, about 100,000 in this bin. And they've grown a lot already. They're already about a quarter inch long. When we first got them, they were less than an eighth of an inch long. So they doubled in size. And is that another bin of them? Yeah, and then this bin has older baby oysters that we got in April. And these are ready to go out on the big farm, out where the big boys are. And that's what you were planting today? Yeah. This is where we start them out. This is the oyster nursery. You're listening to Playing With Food on Issues and Ideas here on KCBX Public Radio for the Central Coast. I'm Father Ian, checking out an oyster farm in Morro Bay. We just came in from the farm, had a look at the oyster nursery, and now it's time to taste the oysters. You'll note that it sounds like I don't know what I'm doing, and that's because I don't. But the one thing I do know is that oysters on the half shell are not only raw, they are alive. This is Grassy Bar Shucking Shed. Everything we sell here, we grow ourselves right in Morro Bay. It's all the same species, but they come in different sizes. So we have small, medium, and large, and we also have our clams, grassy bar manila clams. Everything's grown back in our oyster beds and clam beds. Robert will tell you all about it. Sure, so we serve them either on the half shell with a couple of different sauces, cocktail sauce, mignonette, lemons, and limes. Um, and then we also do a delicious baked oyster with a nice compound butter. Parmesan cheese, breadcrumbs, parsley, and we also sell them to go. So if you wanted to come get them for an event or a party or just for dinner, um, we can give them to you in a bag with some ice. I assume you explained the tumble lines versus bottom room. We got a nice example here of just kind of the differences between the ones that are grown on the lines with floats that get rolled around. They have this really nice round shape and are really nice to present. And then the larger ones kind of a more natural shape tend to be what we do for our larger sizes. Small ones were the ones on the buoys. That's right. And then yeah. the large ones were the ones that you plant, the baby ones that you planted today. On the bottom, yes. Uh huh. We've got a dozen oysters on the half shell here. We've got limes and lemons, horseradish, cocktail sauce, and our own mignonette sauce called Grassy Splash. And it has fresh cilantro, jalapenos, 
shallots and white wine vinegar and black pepper. I don't eat oysters very often, so you tell me how I should eat these oysters. Well, some people think that you should gag down the oyster hole, but that's not true. <laughs> you want to chew up the oyster as if it was your favorite food, like a delicious filet mignon steak or something. You want to chew it and savor it. I'm going to try some lime, and I'm going to go get some hot sauce. That's the one thing we're missing. Well, are you going to prepare one? Go for it. <laughs> I'm going to watch you do it first. Okay. <laughs> Make sure I don't die. Mmm. <laughs> it's salty like the ocean with a kind of creamy crunchiness to them. It's hard to explain. Very fresh. That's the traditional way, right? Yeah. Is it their natural liquor that's in there? Yes. Is it loose? Make sure it's loose. Or it'll be messy, right? Oop, yeah, yep, it won't loose. drop. It won't. It'll. It'll be hard to get out. <laughs> okay, here we go. Yes, it's salty like the sea. Um, it's kind of like when you eat wow. sashimi. Yeah, it has the texture of sashimi, like Real tender, ahi, ahi really tuna, but but some um, give. Right. This is the grassy splash mignonette. You simply must try. That's a really nice sauce. Yeah. And then we've got some baked oysters. Serve them with some freshly toasted toast. Okay. And that goes well with the oysters. So you can dip the toast in the oyster liquor and it's super yummy. Mm -hmm. There we go. Yeah, definitely different experience. Very different texture. I'm gonna try one plain. Is that a good idea or not? That's a very good idea. Okay. That way you can actually taste just the oyster itself. You know they look like balls of snot, right? <laughs> so, my confession is uh -huh. that I don't really like oysters, uh -huh. and I avoid oysters. But oh. when you said we're going to taste some oysters, I was like, you know what? Every couple years I try things that I don't like, except for organ meat. So, why is this experience different than experiences I've had before where they taste like the bottom of the ocean? Well, each oyster comes from different bays. Every bay has its own characteristics and the way the farmers grow them. And they vary seasonally. They can really vary a lot. And the way we grow them, we're very careful to have them nice and clean. We serve them very fresh. And our bay here gets a lot of tidal fluctuations, so we've got new seawater coming in all the time. So the oysters are nice and salty, like the ocean. Yeah, I'm really pleasantly surprised at the experience. Now, have you had other people who have changed their mind about oysters with your oysters? Yeah, we've uh, had quite a few converts here. We've had classes from Cal Poly and high school kids coming and eating their first oyster here, being very brave and eating an oyster and then discovering, they go, wow, this is fun, I really like this. That's happened quite a lot. Do you have hardcore regulars who come in and just knock down 12 and a go? My wife has a trainer at the gym and he loves oysters and he and his buddy, they come in and they'll eat quite a few dozen at a sitting and he swears by them for his strength. <laughs> they're known for something else as well. <laughs> yeah, they're definitely aphrodisiacs, but you have to believe they're aphrodisiacs. It helps. <laughs> for whatever reason you eat oysters, know that you can get local oysters here on the Central Coast. Now that I know that not all oysters taste the same, I may eat them more often, but not a couple dozen at a time, and only local to wherever I am. While we were fishing for oysters, George got the best compliment anyone could ever get, from the guy sitting at the table just within earshot. 
Thank you. If you didn't hear that, he said, the best oysters in the world. I've been all over the United States and these are the best. What other reason do you need to try some local Morabay oysters? And then they talked about their matching t-shirts. This is KCBX Public Radio for the Central Coast. I'm Father Ian and I'm playing with food.